Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and I'm excited to talk to our guest today. Welcome, Saida Rajabzadeh. Saida is a mezzo-soprano, musicologist, music director, educator, and community builder with a passion to serve and to meaningfully contribute to the conversations of diversity and inclusion through her research and performance work. She holds a Master of Arts in Musicology, a graduate diploma, and a Bachelor of Music in Vocal performance from the University of Ottawa. Between 2019 and 2021, she produced and authored a thesis research project entitled Happily I May Remember and Happily May Forget, the double nature of intertextual genre relationships in Samuel Coleridge Taylor's Six Sorrow Songs, Opus 57. In her thesis, she explicitly connects the title and content of Samuel Coleridge Taylor's Six Sorrow Songs to the genre of sorrow songs for the first time in musicological discourse as she discusses the cross-genre borrowing between classical art song and slave songs in the cycle to offer a multifaceted framework for the analysis of this work. This interdisciplinary work also offers an in-depth poetic analysis of the songs to uncover new layers of meaning when these poems are set to music and performed. Other research includes the online exhibit Matching Wavelengths, the National Arts Center's navigation through the COVID-19 pandemic, and her role as music exhibition acquisition and research support at the Canadian Museum of History. Welcome, Saide. It's so good to have you here today. Thanks How are you so doing? Thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So full disclosure to our audience, Saide and I are dear friends. I've gotten to work with her on a number of works and collaborations as her pianist. We also went to school together at the University of Ottawa in our master's. And so this is going to be a little bit of, of friends chatting about music as well as about the wonderful research that Saide has done. Can you tell us a bit more about yourself and what led you down the path of being a musician? I like to start with what's the origin story? Because everyone's got such a unique path to becoming a career musician. Yeah, actually, I was a math physics student back home when I was a teenager through high school. I grew up listening to little Iranian tunes around the house, but none of my family members were really musicians. I basically started taking piano lessons just for fun. And through that, I got to learn just a little bit about classical music. And then I took some more lessons. I started learning some traditional Persian music on traditional instruments. And then I also started singing. But I actually started by singing box cantatas. I didn't know what they meant. It was my first time ever hearing them, but I really fell in love with them. So I think that was really the moment for me to really think that I wanted to sing and I wanted to study the art of singing more. I love that. And was that when you were like a teenager or was it later on in adulthood? It was when I was a teenager, probably grade nine. Okay. It wasn't, yeah, I started taking piano lessons. And again, I didn't take music lessons as a kid, but it was exploring a whole new world, especially Western classical music was completely new to me. So I was very excited to be learning all of those different things from piano to singing, you know. And what were the, some of the traditional instruments that you were learning to play? I actually played sitar, which is a traditional <laughs> instrument it's different than sitar yeah and it has a beautiful sound but it's a whole different system you know with quarter tones but I really liked it because again that was part of you know my heritage and what I grew up listening to so that was a lot of fun but I also really liked my piano classes and just singing on the side oh that's so great so your research focused on the work of Samuel Coleridge Taylor how 
did you come about that? What drew you to the music? Can you tell us how that sort of evolved as your master's thesis project? Yes. Uh, so at first, when I started grad school, I had very generic ideas of the types of things that I wanted to study or write about. And I remember I chatted with my supervisor, Professor Watson, and I told her I like writing on women artists. I like to write about Victorian literature. I'm, you know, an avid poetry reader, and that's something that not a lot of people know about me. So I kind of wanted to combine my love of music, but also maybe Victorian literature. Mm. And so she introduced me to Professor Mary Arsenal, and she has a database and a project called Christina Rossetti in Music. And the database collects music that are set to Rossetti's poetry or writings in general. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those songs are largely unknown. So Professor Arsenault helped me just pick some things, go through some music, and a lot of them don't even have recordings available. So there was a time that I just went through music, played some of them on the piano, and sang through some other ones. But Six Sorrow Songs by Coleridge Taylor was the one that I kept coming back to. Mm. There was something about it that I, the equality that I couldn't put my finger on it. There was this moments of great sorrow but also unpredictable things. It felt very different than some other art songs that I performed, especially as a singer, you know? I felt like I had sung so many art songs, but these sounded and felt so different. So I decided to focus on those, and the poetry was by Christina Rossetti, who is a Victorian poet, and it just went from there. I love that. So you started with the poetry and then yes. you landed on the composer there. Yes. <laughs> I love that because oftentimes I'm like, I'll start with the music and then, yes. you know, but I love that you started with the poetry. That's great. So what did you learn about Coleridge Taylor? Can you tell us who he was? Can you tell us a bit more about him yes. um, and this kind of time setting that his music was, was in? Absolutely. So he was a prolific Black British composer of the late 19th century and early 20th century. And he wrote a lot of music for different instruments. So he wrote vocal music, he wrote operas, orchestral music, incidental music, chamber work, and a lot of his instrumental music is actually known. It's performed, it's programmed on stage regularly, it's written about in scholarly literature, but not his vocal music. So that's particularly what I wanted to focus on. It was very interesting for me just to learn about him through all the writings that have been left behind from his family members and friends, but also to really see a development of his compositional style from something that was very Eurocentric from his education to something that was different. He started exploring new territories, mm. cross-genre borrowings later on in his career, and he returned to those quite frequently afterward. Yeah, so neat. And am I correct in thinking that Avril Coleridge Taylor is his daughter? Yes. The composer. Anderson, conductor yes. and composer, yes. yes. And she also wrote a book on him. Oh, wonderful. So then you were able to read the perspective of his daughter about daughter, yes. his life. And also his wife has written a book, and that was also val very valuable to my research. And his first biographer was a close friend of his. And there is interviews by his, you know, close friends. So you really get an intimate sense of who he was as a person and also just his daily life, you know, apart from being a composer. Yeah. So that was very valuable to me in addition to everything I was reading, you know, mainly scholarly material. Yeah. What a fantastic resource because, you know, there are so many composers that we read their biography 
biographies and yeah. they're written by historians. And so it's this almost like impersonal view yeah. of their life, which isn't bad, but how unique to be able to have the perspective of close friends and yeah. the wife and the daughter. Yeah. And then you just get a different sense of the composer because of the people that knew him. You absolutely do, especially for composers who maybe they didn't have a journal. They don't have, we don't have writings mm. by them that are remaining. So it's very valuable to have the perspective of close family and friends. And I always wish that he had a journal. <laughs> and he actually wrote a lot of romantic letters to his wife, but they're all buried oh. with him. So oh. our knowledge of the romantic life is also limited to what we know of what their family and friends have said. Yeah. Oh, how neat. So your research was specifically focused on the set of six Sora songs you had said. So what was so unique about this set of pieces, other than the fact that they're utterly gorgeous pieces of music? Can you tell us more about his cross-genre writing that made this specific set of art songs so unique? Yes, absolutely. You know, throughout my research, I came to learn about the circle of individuals that he was involved with. He really grew up and worked in a white circle, yet his life is a strong example of breaking boundaries in a society, in a space that's weighed down by those racial prejudices. Mm. But as I was learning about the individuals that he's been in con- he was in contact with, I learned about social activists, I learned about politicians, you know, writers, and I started reading the works of those activists and writers. Mm. And somehow things clicked, you know, I got to also study about the slave song genres and really understand that genres a folk genre on its own, but also studying classical art song on its own. And then throughout my research, I mapped out how Polish Taylor really artistically blends those two genres, brings them together just by the use of musical idioms, and how that could kind of create new layers of meaning and new cross-racial, cross-genre, and even social class discussions. That's that's so unique. Could you give us an example of that in one of his songs? And I will link to any available recordings that we have um, in the show notes as well. Perfect. So what I talked about mainly was two different categories. One of them was about the modes, the slave song genres, what kinds of modes they're written in. And I drew from the works of authors and scholars who have written on this genre to understand what exactly, how do you analyze, you know, how what most of these songs are written in. And when I looked at Coleridge Taylor's songs, it was very difficult to analyze it from a theoretical perspective. Sometimes it's very unclear what Kate's written in. But then when I started looking at the songs in terms of modes, not the scales anymore, all of a sudden things made so much more sense. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, there is a series of rhythms that I analyzed and how they continuously reappear in the cycle. And I, you know, continued asking myself that I don't want to essentialize a musical idiom or an emblem or just a musical gesture. But at some point it happens so many times that you cannot ignore it. You just cannot, you know? Yeah, it's like it's screaming at you through yes. the through the text and through the score. Yes. So in researching his music and and reading about the political activism that was going on at the time and the way he blended these two, like a colonial genre, this yes. you know, European art song, as well as songs of spirituals and and slave songs and and freedom songs. Were there any lessons from researching this music in depth that stood out to you that were maybe themes throughout Coleridge Taylor's life or music? 
I think it's just very interesting to see that Coleridge Taylor, like many other composers, tried to develop a musical signature during Romantic mm -hmm. era, you know? But then how it develops and kind of the journey, the path to it is very interesting as his early compositions are maybe just classical sounding. They're very inspired by his education. But then later on, we see some new things happening in his music and all kinds of explorations. And it was during a time that he was reading a lot about social injustices at home and abroad, but also he was going on trips to the USA and he was really becoming attuned to this system of racial segregation. Mm -hmm. So it seemed that all of those things, of course, he's never written about it explicitly, but it seems that just considering the context of it and everything that was happening around him, it makes sense that he used his creative platform to advocate for marginalized groups and he was politically active and actually attended the first Pan-African conference. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's so unique. And I think that's so important as musicians that we're not just playing or singing what's on the page, but that we're understanding the context of which it was written because it just gives a whole new meaning and it gives more of that original intent and authenticity to the performance. One of my teachers has said, like, it becomes more than black dots on a white page. Yes, that's true. It becomes yes. this living, breathing, growing thing. Yes. And of course, every interpretation is valid by musicians. Not any two interpretations need to be the same. There is no right or wrong. But I found that the context itself, just the historical context, but also my research allowed me to look at these songs a bit differently than if I didn't have that information, you know? Yeah. Was there anything surprising that you found in your research? I would say the most surprising thing is that he was a superstar. He was like a <laughs> rock star during his time. And it's so surprising to see his name appearing slowly from concert programs. I just don't know the reason for it. And it's only been in the recent years that his music is being programmed more on stage. But even when I started my thesis, you know, Six Star Songs wasn't even known. There was just one recording of it available. Mm. And it was very disheartening to me and surprising that we didn't hear his name when we went to school. We didn't hear his music program. We didn't perform his music. So I was somewhat disheartened by everything that I was learning about him and his contributions as the person who really pushed the British contemporary art scene mm. to really include other musical elements. And it seemed that his contributions were somewhat ignored as such an important composer. So I would say that was some of the most surprising things that I learned, but I still learn every week, you know, it's never done. <laughs> Our work is never done. No. Yes, I think that is one of the beautiful things and one of the hard things about yes. being in this line of work is oh, there's just so much more. There's so much more music to play and to sing yes. and perform and to learn about. Our work is never done. Do you think that now that you've done this research, are you seeing opportunities to present Collar's Taylor Soro songs? And are you seeing that there's more of an openness to include his music in the art song canon? Like you said earlier, that the orchestral work is often accepted and we know about Coleridge Taylor, yes. but a lot of his music is unknown Absolutely. to different musical groups. Yes. 
I think I would say that I am very excited to see new recordings of his songs pop up everywhere on YouTube daily. You know, I come across new things, even new arrangements of his works every day, which is really exciting. I'm hoping to have a lecture recital where I could kind of bring that to the general public so I could mm. perform some of his songs and I could talk a little bit about him so that research doesn't only stay in specific circles, yeah. you know, to really bring it to the general public. But also something that I really would love to do and I'm passionate about doing is to bring his choral works to stage. And I've been trying to chat with different artists and colleagues to see if we could even arrange some of his vocal mm -hmm. pieces for choir so that it is more accessible, that it's categorized maybe by even different levels, so mm -hmm. that it addresses different things, not just music, but music history and many different things. And I'm looking for that opportunity and I hope I'd be able to deliver that sometime. That sounds fantastic. I'm I'm on board. <laughs> Whatever I can do to help. <laughs> Um, and I am looking forward to the day that you and I can perform the six oh, Soros yes. songs together at your lecture recital. Yes. yes, I know that that will be a highlight. It will be, be a delight. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Coleridge Taylor pieces that you've come across? Is it the six Soros songs or you're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm done studying. <laughs> I've got something new I want to explore. I just feel like I'm very biased. You know, I love the six Soros songs. Yeah. I've studied it for so long. Even when I sing it every week, you know, I feel like I explore new things about it almost mm -hmm. daily because the deeper you know, the deeper you look, there's gems hidden there, you know? But I also know that he wrote over a hundred vocal pieces and I'm excited so to exploring all of them. You know, there's <laughs> so much music that just needs to be heard and practiced and performed. So I wouldn't, I don't know if I can even answer which one's my favorite song. I know that I'm really excited to just learning them one at a time. Mm -hmm. Do you have one that you love that's on your list to perform? You know, besides the Soro songs, do you have one you're like, oh, I can't wait to program that? I think some of the choral pieces, actually. Mm -hmm. I know I'm a singer, but some of his choral works are just so wonderful. Even yeah. something like Summertime, it's simple, it's short, it's a cappella, and yet so gorgeous, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to just be able to bring that to chorus theirs, to new communities even, you know? Yeah, your passion for choirs and choral conducting comes through all the time in conversation and what you're working on as a researcher and a singer and a teacher. Have you been able to program any of his choral works with your choirs? Are you arranging some? What's the goal there? What's the vision? Uh, I haven't been able to program any of them yet. Not and yet. it seems, you know, Coleridge Taylor music is so rich mm -hmm. and oftentimes not easy to perform, you know? Yes. <laughs> so that's why I'm really looking forward to arranging things, maybe even arranging some of the choral works. And sometimes I have come across different arrangements. Maybe it was a vocal piece and then we find arrangements of it instrumentally or vice versa. So mm -hmm. I feel like there is also so much that we potentially don't know and a lot of his music that maybe isn't even catalogued. So that's something I'm really looking forward to doing, actually, hopefully in the future years. That's great. And I'm curious, like, is it a different experience teaching and performing the works after you've finished the research? Do you have yes. like, you must have a, a richer understanding <laughs> of the music. Yes, the understanding is definitely richer and it's just so much more. And sometimes I have a hard time summarizing things, uh, you know, or just talking about it briefly. That kind of a knowledge, that kind of understanding and context also comes with a little bit of pressure. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I do it justice. 
that, you know, college seller is proud of what maybe my performance or what I've taught, or if it's a seminar or a talk, I want to make sure that I'm doing it justice, you know, and sometimes it comes with a little bit of pressure, but I try to always think about that idea of advocacy and what my, my artistic advocacy is about and just taking it one day at a time, basically just telling people what I've learned and starting to have conversations. Yeah, I love that. And I love that phrase that you just use, artistic advocacy, because I think that all of us as musicians have that power. Mm-hmm. You know, we think about when we're on a stage, everybody is listening to what we're playing or yeah. singing, right? Uninterrupted, yeah. without any sort of rebuttal, right? This isn't a debate. People are, you know, coming to sit and listen. And there is power in programming, And programming music that's maybe outside of the old dead white male composer. (laughs) Not to say that we still don't play Bach and Mozart and Handel and Haydn and, of course, these gorgeous works, but that the canon is so much wider and so much bigger. And, And so I like that phrase of if we can all use our artistic advocacy, I think that the musical world and perhaps the world would be a much richer and more beautiful place. And a lot of times to also find relevance and representation Mm -hmm. and, you know, connection even. And just to show that there is so much, so many songs out there that are so cool and we could introduce them to our youth and we could start to rewrite history and we could show relevance. We could even, Mm -hmm. outside of music classes, this could be connected to a history class or a social sciences class, you know? Yes, I like that a lot. So, Sayde, what are you working on right now? What's getting you excited in the musical world, in the research world? I think something that makes me really excited right now is the webinar series that I'm working on for this upcoming year. There would be one webinar per month for the next 12 months, and it's all free of charge and all online, and it's called The Singer's Laboratory. I put a lot of time over the past few months, actually, to a year, just kind of conceptualizing the whole thing and to really thinking about that idea of serving different communities in different ways. So I'm excited to publish that pretty soon, but I'm also very excited about our recital. Olivia and I are planning a recital. (laughs) The date is not confirmed yet, but everything would be on my website as announcements soon. And I'm just really excited and passionate about the type of research we're doing and the programming we're going to offer. There is going to be Persian music there. There's going to be BIPOC music. There's going to be work by indigenous creators, you know, by women composers. So it's very exciting to me. Things that maybe I didn't have a chance to sing before and now I just get to you know dive into it yeah I'm super excited about that as well (laughs) and I am so excited for your singers laboratories those webinars and I encourage everybody listening to go sign up for those because Sayide is an incredible teacher researcher educator singer and she's got so much to offer so that is fantastic and I'm so excited for those to start I'm not really a singer I mean I am I'm in the choral world I'm not a solo singer, but I'm I'm looking forward to those. That's so great. It's been such a pleasure getting to chat with you again. We're going to wrap up our chat with a few rapid fire questions. No wrong answers. Just go with your gut. And I'm looking forward to see what you say. Can you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician? box cantata (laughs) do you remember which one you were singing i don't know (laughs) (laughs) 
I love that. That's great. Favorite piece or song to perform? Disney songs always a go for me. <laughs> really? What's your favorite? <laughs> oh, there's never a favorite. All oh. my students like different ones. I like different ones. <laughs> <laughs> We're just always singing together. <laughs> I love that. Have you ever been given bad career advice? And what was it? Work for exposure. Oh, yes. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Is exposure paying my bills? <laughs> Yes. Or if you do, you know, something free and then you get a meal after or something and it was, yeah. you know, well, that, that lasted for one night. How about the next? <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. Uh, what is the best musical or career advice you can pass on to up and coming musicians? Be yourself, create your own opportunities, think about serving communities and trusting yourself and your abilities. That's great. Like the create your own opportunities. You want to see yeah. something happen. Why not you, right? Do Why it. can't yeah. you build it? Yes. That's great. What music are you listening to right now? A lot of rock music, actually. Yeah. Queen in particular. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I All love it. All kinds of different music. Yeah. Do you have a specific album that you're on or just kind of going uh, through the whole playlist? Whole playlist. They're essentials, I would say. <laughs> And all the famous songs. Yeah, I love all kinds of different genres. Yeah, so I just switch between them, you know? That's great. I like that so far, the interviews that I've done for the last three months, no one has given the same response for what music they're listening to. It crosses all the genres, all the eras. It's fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on Loud and Clear Site 8. It was such a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to chat with you and, and to make music with you. Can you let our audience know where they can find you and know about all the exciting things that you're doing perfect yeah so you can check my website saiderajabzadeh.ca and you can also follow me on instagram twitter i'm very active on instagram so that would be great but i'd be happy to also hear from you if you'd like to shoot me an email wonderful so i will link to all of saide's socials i'll link to her website and some recordings and all the cool things that she's working on as well as to her research if you are interested in singing the six sorrow songs which if you are a singer, you should. If you're a mezzo, then I will also link to her amazing thesis, which is on the UOttawa website as well. So thank you so much for coming awesome. on, Sayde. It was so, so great to talk with me. you. Thanks very much. And that is a wrap on my interview with Saide. Make sure that you head on over to her Instagram and you give her a follow and check out all of the amazing work that she's doing. She's very active online with digital courses and wonderful performances and videos. So I encourage you to go check that out. And you can find the links to all of the things we've mentioned in this podcast in the show notes at OA Music Studios slash podcast and just click on the episode you want to take a look at. You can also also find it on concertstream.tv. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Make sure you head over to saskatoonsymphony.org to purchase tickets for upcoming shows. And if you don't live in the Saskatoon area, you can watch these shows via concert stream by following the link at the top of the website. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.